I'm like your Jewish mother right now. I'm just going to shame you into obedience. Um, I, I actually, I, it, was, it was during worship, I was reminded of that movie Hitch. Anybody remember that movie where, where the, the white guy who likes to dance like this and he's like trying to teach him like, no, you stay right here. And I'm like, and that's how I'm worshiping. And so I have to apologize to Don Shannon for the bruises I put on your arm while I'm like, what a powerful name it is. I'm elbowing Ethan in the face and Don in the shoulder and but worship happens in here, and thank you so much for being here, Rounds, and so grateful for that time. Um, if, if you are joining us and just kind of diving in here, we are in the middle of a series on the book of Acts. We're taking a slow journey through the beginning of the early church when the disciples who had tasted and seen that God was good uh, began to share the gospel message. And as we've come so far, We've just been looking at kind of leading up to the day of Pentecost and what happened after. And, and Pentecost, uh, Pentecost is a lot like um, Mentos and Coke. And during prayer this morning, as I'm up there, I'm like, you know what? I could talk about it or I could show you. I know, don't worry. Everybody always gives me a hard time for not using the, the, the pulpit that Jeff uses. So I figured I'd use it today, right? <laughs> don't worry. Hey, if you're going to give me a hard time about stains up here, you should see some of the coffee stains you leave out there, right? So on the day of Pentecost, you've got this group of, of believers who have tasted and seen, and, they are, and, and Jesus said, just wait. Wait till my spirit comes upon you, and when it does, then go. And when the Holy Spirit falls upon them, please work, it just, that little upper room cannot possibly, that's not enough Holy Spirit, we need more, right? Come on. We need more spirit in here. So that little upper room, well, that's good, could not contain them, and they come spilling out into the streets, and they begin to worship God in languages they had never learned. And meanwhile, because it's the, the Feast of Pentecost, you've got people from all over the world who are already in the streets of Jerusalem, and they hear these men and women who are Galilean, uneducated country bumpkins, worshiping God in their native languages from their homelands where they've come from. They're going, what is going on? Now, some people... So I'm going to go this way. Are you okay? So... So these, these country bumpkins are, are worshiping God in language they don't understand. And these people who have come into the city to worship at the temple and to offer their first fruits hear the gospel message. And they're going, what's going on? And some people, because our human tendency when we see something we don't understand is to explain it away, to mock it, to push it at arm's length. And they begin to make fun of them. And Peter stands up and goes, oh, no, 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 no. Let me tell you what's going on. This is what Joel prophesied about. That God's spirit would fall upon his sons and his daughters, irrespective of gender, irrespective of age, irrespective of social status. He would fill them up and they would begin to prophesy in his name. They would do miracles in his name. And everybody who calls upon the name of the Lord would be saved. I'm going to probably... I love you. Um, how, how does it work? I don't know. And so the people, this is it. I'm going to owe you lunch. Thank you. Maybe not. 
So the people are cut to the heart. The gospel breaks into their existence, and on that day, 3,000 people are saved. And that's like a 25%, or 25 time increase, a 2,500% increase of the church in one day. Immeasurably more than those disciples could ever have anticipated or expected or done on their own strength. And I was thinking this week, what would that be like? If on one of our regularly scheduled Sunday mornings, as we are sitting in here worshiping, as we're sitting in here opening God's word and reading, the Holy Spirit fell upon us in such a way that like this coat, this box couldn't contain us. These seats couldn't contain us. We were so overwhelmed by the Spirit's presence, we had to get up. We course out the door. We head over to the OC fairgrounds during the fair when there are people from lots of different places. They're in here from Fontuck, I mean Fontana, and, 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 and they, they, you know, they're wearing their cowboy hats and their cutoffs, and they are here for the fair, and all of a sudden, here come these weird people worshiping God, people who are speaking in languages. We're speaking Spanish. We didn't even learn Spanish right? There are people there who are hearing God using terminology they use on a regular basis, and they're going, what is going on now? Some of them are going to mock us. Boy, they've already been drinking. It's pretty early in the day, but they got started early, right? But there are going to be plenty of people who would gather around us and go, what's going on? And we don't care that they mock us. We don't care how we are perceived. We cannot help but worship God and tell the truth of what we have found to be true in our own lives of Jesus Christ. And by the end of that day, there would be so many men and women and families who are cut to the heart that this box would not be able to contain us all. And we'd have to change out the water before we continue to do more baptisms. That is what happened on the day of Pentecost. It was radical. But just as radical as that particular day was, the community that was birthed was radical. If you have a Bible, turn with me to Acts chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the seat back in front of you. And if you don't own a Bible, that one is yours. It's our gift to you. We're going to go to Acts chapter 2 because right on the heels of Peter's declaration of the gospel for the first time publicly in the streets of Jerusalem, right on the heels of 3,000 men, women, and children giving their hearts to God, We read about the early church, this community, this fellowship of believers, beginning in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they met together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. As I listen to that description of the early Christian community, of men and women who are coming together. It is so warm and so welcoming and so attractive. And it was so radically different from the the kind of religious atmosphere that they had come out of. Because remember, Judaism, 
Judaism was focused on a place that you would go and worship God. There's a reason why all of these people had come to Jerusalem for Pentecost, because you worship at the temple, or you worship in the synagogue. And so whereas Judaism was focused on a sacred place, the people worshipped everywhere. They they gathered together at the temple courts because they could find space there, but they also gathered together in one another's homes and in the streets. It was like wherever we can find space, we recognize that it's people who are more sacred than any plot of ground. People are more holy. People matter more to God than a place. And we can worship him anywhere. And we can do life anywhere. Judaism focused on a particular day of the week, the Sabbath. From sundown Friday night to sundown Saturday night, that was their time of worship where they would go to synagogue, they would go to the temple and worship God. And what we read about is that for the early church, it spilled over into every nook and cranny of every single day. It wasn't just on the Shabbat. It was all throughout the week, as they're going along, that this just bleeds over into everything. And I think one of the most radical parts that that, uh, Luke really points out here in the description of the early church is that whereas Judaism would say you have a responsibility to bring a tenth or a tithe of your whatever it happens to be, whatever your income, whatever you have accumulated, whatever you have grown, you have an obligation to bring a tenth of that. What we see in the early church is a radical generosity that says it's not just a tenth of of my stuff is devoted to God and everything else is kind of mine to do with what I want. Everything is God's. Everything he's blessed me with belongs to him. And I am open-handed with it saying, God, show me how you want to use this. And when somebody had a need within that community, maybe somebody's sick, They'd pool their resources to get that person care. If somebody is evicted from a home, they open up a place for that person to come and live. And if they don't have enough resources to cover the need, then somebody goes and sells something, maybe a a property or, or, or something that they have. They sell it in order to raise the funds to care for one another. It's radically... And, and, and their generosity doesn't just extend to their stuff or their money. It extends to their time. It extends to their, their, their experiences. We, the first thing we read is that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. What that means is that the men and women who were, had a first-hand account because they walked with Jesus, they ate with him, they talked with him, they were with the risen Lord, they shared with those who had not had those opportunities, they shared what they learned from Jesus. They shared their faith. They discipled the next generation of Christ followers. That's what the early church was like. They truly embodied Jesus' declaration that the world will know you're my disciples by the way you love one another. And so it's no wonder that God continued to add to their number daily those who were being saved because they were attracted to this community that was so radically different from the community they were used to, from the world and society they were used to. And this kind of radical community continued for 300 years in the early church. Society couldn't understand why the early church was so intentional about loving the poor, not just their own poor, all the poor that they would feed and care for them. They couldn't understand why when children were abandoned in the streets, left to die, exposed to the elements, that these Christians would go and gather them up and raise them as their own children. Not as slave labor, as their own children. 
They couldn't understand why these Christians would actually one another, one another, love one another, pray for one another, support one another, grieve with one another, celebrate with one another. They didn't get it because that was not normal. And what really flipped their lid was that it seemed as if these early believers were not afraid to die. Because when stuff would happen, like there was a plague that would descend upon a city, typically what would happen is that everybody with the means to do so would leave. They would run to the hills and wait it out. And Christians were known for running into the cities and moving towards those who were sick and caring for them, irrespective of the fact that it actually exposed them to those very sicknesses. And many of them got sick and some of them died, and yet they continued to do it. And this is why the early church exploded and why people were so attracted to them. Because they were different. Because they lived differently. Because their values were so radically different from the society they came out of. This was far more than a religion. This was a lifestyle. And it's so stinking attractive. And if that is what the early church was like, a community of believers that transcended a particular day of the week, that transcended a particular place to gather that transcend even a particular percentage of what you're supposed to give, then how on earth have we arrived in 2019 with this mindset that every time you hear the word church, you automatically think of a building that you go to for an hour and a half on a Sunday morning? Why is it that we went from that kind of a dynamic community to static places? There's a, there's a, lot, of, a lot of reasons we can point to. I'm going to just focus on two really briefly. The first one happened in 312 AD, and that's when the emperor of the Roman Empire, a guy named Constantine, took this Christian group of people in this faith system, and he took it from the periphery, because at this point it had been illegal in the, in the kind of community of Rome. It was illegal in the Roman Empire, and he grabbed it, and he pulled it into the center of the Roman Empire and said, this will become the official religion of the Roman Empire. And when he did that, it, it kind of poured jet fuel on the expanse of the gospel, but it also had some negative effects on the church. Because what ended up happening is that you have now taken this vibrant movement of Jesus Christ, where love is the, the, the primary focus, and you have now inextricably woven it with the not-so-holy Roman Empire. And whereas Christ was focused on loving one another and the world would know you're my disciples by the way you love, the Roman Empire was focused on the accumulation of power and stuff. And what, what Constantine did is he took this community that would meet anywhere they could find space, that was about people doing life together, and he said, I'm going to build basilicas, edifices. This will take generations to do because they're going to be grand, and this is where people will gather. This is where people will commune with God, not in people's homes, here. And he reestablished a hierarchy of people who were allowed to actually touch the scriptures and explain it to people. Fast forward 1,200 years. When Gutenberg invented the printing press, another a real kind of jump forward happened. First off, it kind of challenged the, the death grip that the kind of power brokers within the church had on Scripture to be able to say what it says. Because now people could actually have Scriptures in their own words. 
And once the cat got out of the bag and, and the church realized they, they no longer had a monopoly on God's word, they decided they were going to translate it for the people. And what we know as the King James Version of the Bible, I'm going to focus on one word within their translation because they made a very interesting choice. There was a word that was used to describe the group of believers that were following Jesus. Remember when Jesus said to Peter, Peter, upon this rock, I will build my church, right? My, that, that word church is ecclesia. And ecclesia is most naturally in our language probably be translated as community or congregation, right? The assembly of the people, the focus of the word ecclesia is the gathering of people together. It's, it's relationships, it's family. And there were some people like, uh, like William Tyndale who said this should be translated congregation. But when they were translating that word, they didn't choose the word congregation for the word ecclesia. Instead, they went to the German language and they picked a different word, the word kirch, which means house of the Lord. Because for them, the emphasis was on a building that you gather to come into to proximity to God, not upon the people. So is it any wonder when we talk about church, we talk about going to church, we talk about being in a building, we, f we naturally think of a building with a cross on the top that's in the middle of a city, but really does not ever interact other than people parking and irritating their neighbors because you're, you're parking in front of their homes, right? And, and, and so for the last you know, a thousand years or so, we within the community of Christ have had to battle against a mindset that says the church is an edifice, it's a building, when in fact it is about a people and it's about a movement that transcends this, that isn't just about Sunday mornings between 10 and 11.30 in the morning. And when I think about the early church and I think about Acts 2, 42 through 47, what, how Luke describes it, I can't help but think about my brother's Mark's house. And I call brother my, my, my where Mark, where are you? stand up for a second. This is my brother Mark. Stand up. <laughs> Never listens. Okay, this is my brother Mark. Now, Mark and I have different parents. Um, Mark and I played water polo together in high school. And then after high school, he needed a place to live, and my parents happened to have an extra room, so he moved in. And over the years, he and I adopted one another as brothers. So we are family. We're blood-related in Christ's blood, right? Uh, but that's beside the point. Throughout the week, and particularly on Saturday afternoons, Sunday afternoons, we have a tendency to go over to Mark's house because we've got kids and he's got a pool. And I like him a little bit. We go over to Mark's house. He's got a neighbor, Chelsea, who's got a bunch of kids, so she brings her kids over. We've got friends from high school and other friends from our community that come with us often. And when we get together, it is a madhouse because we all bring our kids and our kids go in the pool and we as parents just kind of sit back and commiserate. <laughs> oh, how you doing? Oh, we're all right. You know, we're surviving. Sometimes we pray for one another. Invariably, it becomes time to eat because you always got to eat. You always got to feed those little buggers. And so we, we go, okay, what are we going to do? And sometimes we're smart. Sometimes we think ahead. Sometimes our wives actually kind of plan for us. And so we potluck and we all bring stuff. More often than not, we just raid Mark's fridge. <laughs> and whatever he doesn't have, Chelsea will run across the street to kind of fill in those parts of the food pyramid that we're missing. Sometimes we'll pool our money, whatever we've got, and somebody will go out and buy pizza. 
We're not above just feeding our kids pizza three or four times a week just because we're surviving, right? <laughs> but in very, however we do it, they eat. And this is the community that my kids are getting to grow up in with other kids that they consider cousins that are not blood-related but are blood-related, with other people that they consider family, aunts and uncles, that aren't blood-related but are blood-related. And I would suggest to you that that gathering at Mark's house on a Saturday afternoon or a Sunday afternoon is just as much a reflection of the early church as what we do between 10 and 11.30 here on a Sunday morning. I would suggest to you that the gathering of, of um, well-aged men across the street at like 9 a.m., if you've ever gotten here early, you got Merv, you got Ben, you got Gene, you got others who have gathered over there, they're having coffee, they're having a donut, and they're just talking. That is as much a reflection of the early church as what we do from 10 to 11.30 in this room. Or I think about the life groups that meet in people's homes or around this church campus throughout the week on Mondays, I'm sorry, on Mondays, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, where we're gathering together in people's homes. We're breaking bread, having dinner with one another, or at least dessert, which is the most important part of the day. Continuing the conversation from Sundays, opening God's word, not taking the pastor's word for it, which is a really good thing. Worshiping together, praying for one another, sharing life with one another. That is not just as much a reflection of the early church. That is even better, not yet. That is even more what the early church is about than what we do here on Sunday mornings. Because remember, the early church didn't have a building devoted for their gathering. They found space. They did life together. It bled over into every aspect of their lives. Our life groups serve together regularly. When I think about the early church, that's what I think about. And, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I had a friend, Howard, who, I'm sorry, not Howard, Harold, who is moving to Idaho from our church. He's been a part of our community for a season, and he and his wife and their kids are moving to Idaho, and they're very excited about being able to see grass and trees again instead of just going and visiting them, right? And he's, he, he was talking with a pastor of a church out there, and he was describing that one of the hardest parts of moving is the fact that he's found this community at Lighthouse where he just feels at home. He loves it. He's like, I'm going to miss that. And the pastor's like, well, we're really wanting to develop community. How do we get that? And he goes, I don't know. I'll call Eric. And he calls me up and he goes, hey, Eric, so, so what's the secret sauce that makes community community? And I'm like, I don't know. I mean, on the one hand, I cannot take credit for this at all. I recognize that when Kathy and I came here eight years ago, you were already warm and inviting so much so we didn't want to leave and we, so much so we wanted to raise our kids in this community. I think, if anything, I just fit pretty well in it because I love being here and I love having some of you who, who are decades older than me who I get to call fathers and mothers and I've got a bunch of mothers here, which is really good because I need them. <laughs> it, it, right? I need a lot of mothers. And so I can't take credit for it. The one thing I think that is really important, though, is 
as we do community, we're very open-handed with what we've got. We are welcoming, not only on Sunday mornings, but throughout the week. We're very open-handed with this facility. It's, it, it has been entrusted to us. We're going to talk a lot more about that. We talked a lot about that yesterday in the missional pathway, that we began to recognize that as we are generous with what God has entrusted to us, He will do immeasurably more through it, kind of like the, the fish and loaves that little boy had that he handed to Jesus, and Jesus fed thousands of people. That's the kind of thing we are beginning to see in this little church community as we say, okay, God, it's all your stuff. Help yourself to our lives. And Harold, as I'm talking to him, goes, hey, I got I to send you something, and he sends me this picture. Now you can put it up there. He sends me this picture that was taken 20 minutes after the church service ended. This is what we have. This is why I love being a part of this church. Because you guys, I know you show up before 10 a.m. You just don't come in because you're doing church. Dang it. You're doing life. And then as the service ends, you hang out and you do life more. And, this, and I would suggest that what happens before 10 a.m. and after 11.30 is just as much a reflection of the early church as what happens between 10 and 11.30. And I have to say that this community, I'm so proud of how generous you are, not just with your resources, not just with your money. I'm proud of people like Tony, retired firefighter who built his own home, has, has this uncanny ability to actually get the city to give him permission to do things with his hands, which I'm still learning, as you can tell, by how long it's taken for this remodel process. But Tony's the kind of guy that has gifts and abilities and time, and he says, God, here I am. And so when he hears about a, a widow whose you know, who's, who's disposal has backed up and is broken down, like not, oh, I'll get to it sometime next week, he goes that day, goes over there, realizes the problem, and gets her a new disposal, doesn't even charge her for it, just does it. That's who he is. We've got a ton of Tonys in this, in this church. I think of, of Jeannie and Cindy Washbon, both of whom have survived cancer. Several times, in fact. And so their heart is broken for others who are walking through the specter of cancer. And so they say, we want to walk with you. And they are regularly coming alongside others who are facing their own mortality. And they are sharing the hope that they have found. I think of Teresa, who was a, a, a teen mom, and blessed with her daughter Bella, and now today she comes alongside other teenage moms through a ministry in Santa Ana called Young Lives and says, I just want to walk with you and encourage you because I've been where you are, and it, there is hope, and I want to hold you up, and in fact, sometimes I'll just hold your baby so that you can have a conversation with a friend and be a teenager still for a little bit. I think of um, Leslie, whose son died far, far too soon. And after having walked through the grief of losing her child, she, started, she, she helped to bring a ministry here called Grief Share, where others who are walking through their own tragedies in their life can share their grief because we are not meant to carry that alone. So she is sharing out of the storehouse of what God has spoken into her life as she has sought healing and sought Him. I think of all of the meals that you guys have cooked 
for new families, and we got a lot of them, as we're going to find out today. We got lots of babies that are being born into this church. They just keep coming. It's great. But you guys cook meals regularly for young families because you realize just how, how crazy it can be in those first couple of weeks. Kathy and I have been recipients of meals, and we have been blessed by it, and so many others have as well. I just think of the ways that you guys do life. You are generous with your time. You're generous with your resources. You're generous with your lives. You welcome people in and you do life. And that is why I'm so grateful to call this my church community because this is what it means to be family. This is what it means to be the ecclesia of God. It's not about a building. And the more we focus on the building, the less we are actually being the body of Christ that God called us to be. The more we, build, we focus on the building, and, 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 and let's just call out the elephant in the room. Yes, we just spent quite a bit of time making our building more accessible. Part of that is because we have some of us who are aging, and we don't want you to fall down the stairs anymore, Merv. <laughs> Darlene, don't laugh at him. You did it too. No more cartwheels. In our family, we call that um, freestyle walking, right? You just kind of, we do a lot of it. But also because God is blessing us with a lot of new children, and we have a lot of strollers, not just on Sundays, but with the preschool, families who are coming with their kids, and we want to be ready to receive them. So that is why we've invested that. But at the end of the day, if all we get focused on is perpetuating the building, we're missing the point of what it means to be the family of God, the community of Christ that transcends a place, and we are doing church 24-7 in our communities, in our relationships, with people that don't even call this church home. One of the things that excites me about the fact that we have to raise 500 cans of cranberry sauce, gross, is that it's a reminder that we're not supplying the entire meal, that there are lots and lots of other churches in our community, lots and lots of other iterations of the family of God that are also going to be contributing to these meals. So we're not feeding 500 families. We are helping with our brothers and sisters that are gathering around this city today to feed 500 families. And that excites me because it's not about Lighthouse. It's about Jesus Christ's name being proclaimed, and we do it more through our relationships than we do through our gathering and just reading the Word of God and worshiping. Yes, that's important. But even more important is doing life and being the embodiment of Jesus. And that only happens when the Holy Spirit gets a hold of our hearts. So, this morning, I can think of no better way to commemorate the community of Christ followers that God has blessed us with, than to celebrate three children that God has entrusted to our church community as we dedicate them to the Lord, as we more importantly dedicate their families to raising them in the Lord, and as we dedicate ourselves as a church community to being their support. So, do we have Soren? Is he here? I see Tanner coming in. All right, so Tanner and Sam, why don't you come on forward with Soren? We're going to start with them, and I'd love to invite your family to come and join you up here um, because, again, this is about the family. This is, a, this is a communal effort. Come on up. Hey, buddy, boy. Come on. The whole family's coming. I love it. Part of the fun of this is that we get to know 
um, many of these new families that are coming, but oftentimes you don't get to know them, and they have to kind of rush out. A lot of our families have to rush out quickly to go get kids. Sometimes we don't, which is why Kat and I often get yelled at, because we don't go and get our kids, because it's, like, it's a break. Um, but I'd love to... I got that, brother. Oh, that's all right. Oh, watch out. Watch out. Thank you so much. <laughs> Why don't you tell, introduce your family, introduce your kids, and then we're going to pray over you. Uh, good morning. Excuse my voice. It's a, it's a little hoarse. Maybe I don't need this. Is it turned um, off? There it's on. There we go. Good morning, everybody. Um, my name is Tanner Erickson. This is my wife, Samantha. Um, my mother-in-law, Marilyn and Tom Mavakian. My oldest, Indy and Rhodes, who are both either have been or are our students here at uh, Little Lighthouse uh, um, a School. And we have Soren. <laughs> we have Soren, who's uh, just turned two, who will also be a, a, a focused, loyal student here in another year. Awesome. Well, I have a couple of questions I want to ask you. And I know that you're, um, I'm so grateful that your family's driven down here to be with you today, Samantha. A um, couple of things that we want to give each of you. First off is just a kind of a, a commemoration of today. Um, and then this is a Bible that a, a couple of the pastors have signed and just as an investment of our community church into your kids. Don't drop that. Don't fumble that. I know you're a baseball player, so, you know, that's okay. But let me ask you a couple of questions. And if, if what I'm about to ask is the, the true intent of your heart, then I'm just go ahead and say we do. So do you commit to strengthening your own relationship with God? Recognizing that your children are likely to follow the spiritual example that you set for them. I'm glad. And do you commit to disciple your children, both modeling and teaching them how to pray, worship, and listen to and serve God? Yes. Yeah, because they're going to follow your example way more. Way, way more is caught than taught, right? And then do you commit to leaning on others who will both support and aid you in training up your children? All right, so if you would, if you would extend a hand, and I'm just going to invite you guys to lay a hand, and Jeff's here as well. We just want to take a moment and pray over this family that God has blessed our church with this year. Father God, I thank you for for Tanner and Samantha. I thank you for these three rambunctious, wonderful boys that you've entrusted to their care. You know each of them intimately, and God, we specifically want to thank you for Soren, the youngest um, and, and I just love the, the excitement and exuberance you put in him. Sometimes he just doesn't care about where the curb is, and he's running into the street, and it's just, I'm so grateful he's still with us. But Father God, I pray for your protection over him and over his brothers. I pray, Father, that you would begin to surround him with others, because before too long, he's not going to really listen to his mom and dad very much, and it's going to be the community that surrounds him and pours into him. It's going to be his brothers. I pray, Father, for, you, for your protection over them, that you would surround them with friends that are an encouragement to them so that they can be an encouragement and set an example for their little brother. Father God, would you glorify yourself through this family? And we commit ourselves as their church community to support, to encourage, to do life with them. And sometimes, God, would you give us the eyes to recognize what they need, even if that's just, hey, why don't we come and Watch your kids for you so you guys can have a date night. Jesus, we entrust them into your hands in your holy name. Amen.
All right. Rainier and Cindy Ray, they're going to be bringing their family up. Thankfully, because obviously Tanner and I only make Y chromosomes, um, there is, thankfully we also have some X chromosomes being produced in our church, which we desperately need. And then there was Clark. And then there was Clark. So we're going to go ahead and scoot forward just a little bit. And why don't you, who wants to talk? All right. Why don't you share a little bit about your family and even how we can be praying for you? Yes. Uh... Do you need to talk into my face? <laughs> oh, come wow. on. Can you guys hear me? Whoa, what an honor. Thank you. I would have I spoken to your face, but this is great. Thank you. Um, thank you. This is uh, Rainier and Cindy, and this is Alice, Violet, and Clark, and my parents, my mom, Reese Ray, Father Steve Ray, Kira Ray, Sky Ray. Where's my brother-in-law? There he is. Joshua. So, and uh, this is our nephew, Malachi. And we are just so honored to be a part of this church. We just fell in love with Eric and his family and um, all of you. And yeah, same thing. Once we came here, it was really hard to leave. Came from a mega church. And uh, there's just nothing like this ecclesia, nothing like this congregation. And we moved to Tustin, and it's not really a far drive, but it's still so worth it to just to come down, drive past other churches to come here. So, <laughs> way to go. But uh, if, if you could please be praying for Clark, what came to my heart, we, we couldn't choose a life verse in time, but what's been coming to my mind ever since I've been meditating on it is Daniel chapter 6 talks about how Daniel was given an excellent spirit. And then no fault was found in him aside from his unwavering obedience to the law of his Lord. And if you guys could just please pray that he'd be given an excellent spirit, that no fault be found in him, that he would be one of those young men that uh, this world needs more of, uh, and that our daughters would be the same, we'd be honored that he would just live a life in obedience to his God. So please uh, pray that for him. Thanks. If you would, just extend a hand. Let's go ahead and pray for the rays. Oh, Father God, I am so grateful for this family. So grateful for the ways that Rainier and Cindy model your heart and a dedication to you. I didn't ask them the questions, but I know that emphatically their answers would be yes. And so let's just go ahead and go with yes. They're in. Not only to the task of, of raising their kids, but they're in to pursuing you with their whole heart. I'm so grateful for the generations represented on the stage right here. Father God, I pray for your hand upon their daughters and upon their son. I pray for your protection over their little hearts, that they would never question who they are, that they would always know that they are your daughters, your son, created in your image, gifted with unique talents to bring you glory. And like, like Rainier has asked, God, he desires that his son would develop that heart, that spirit of Daniel that is unwavering in his commitment to you, unwavering in his understanding that he is your man about your business, doesn't matter where society's going, doesn't matter what other people are saying, doesn't matter what his friends are up to or what they care about, he has his eyes fixed on you and that he is a ray of hope, no pun intended, pun intended, <laughs> sure. Father, would you glorify yourself through this family? I pray for your protection and I pray that you would pour energy into Rainier and Cindy. They're going to need it. Boys are very different from girls. But I'm so grateful 
I'm so grateful for what you're doing, and I'm so grateful for the blessing that they are going to be to their children. And Father, we as their church family commit to walking alongside of them and supporting them as well. Help yourself to our lives to be a support and an encouragement to them as they do what you have entrusted to them to do. Jesus, in your name, amen. What have you got to say, Alice? Oh, absolutely. I got one for you. Sorry. Thank you. All right, this is gone. How are we doing, Jeff? Hey, by the way, for everybody who thought that Jeff had quit or something, he didn't. Poor guy goes on vacation and he starts getting calls like week two, like, is there something wrong? Do we need to pray for you? He's like, no, I'm fishing. You don't need to pray. Well, maybe pray for the fish, right? All right, let's try this one. Let's see if this one's working. Okay, Ethan and Joanna Blitz and the whole Blitz crew. Come on, Blitzkrieg the stage. I know. I know. Clark, you'll get another opportunity at some point. What's up, Levi? Hi, handsome boy. All right, so Ethan and Joanna. Let me go ahead and try. Not happening. Okay, talking to my face again. There you go. All right. Why don't you go ahead and um, Hello. Hello, share a little bit about your family, introduce All right. us, and how we can pray for you. All right. Um, well, this is little Levi here. He's uh, eight months old. Um, this is my wife, Joanna, uh, my mom, Sheila, my aunt, Robin. My uncle Carrie, my dad, um, Dave. Um, basically, uh, me and Joanna have been together for about three years now. Uh, I've been in the church family for a while. We were in a big church. Um, I love this one way better. Just more personal. Everyone's very nice here. Um, just very comfortable. Uh, we love it. Um, other than that, um, me and Joanna met at a Bible study about three years ago. Uh, we got married. Uh, August 10th, 2018, um, and then Levi was born here January um, 22nd of 2019. I love it. How can we be praying for you? I'm going to steal him, by the way. Go for it. <laughs> oh, you can come and spit on me for this bit. <laughs> He's like, oh my goodness, the world looks different from this. Right. <laughs> I know it's not fair. He's, uh, he's, got, he's too cute. He needs to save it for everyone else. But, um, so how can we be praying for you as a family? Um, I would just say, you know, keep the, the Lord and, you know, Levi's heart here. Um, guide him through, li- through his life. Um, just pray that nothing, you know, there's no hard times. Never give up. You know, the Lord's always there for you. And just kind of, um, I don't know, pray that he finds his way with the Lord and kind of just guide him through. Okay. Well, I'm going to give him to you. And okay. I... Um, I got to apologize because I'm not going to do what you asked. I'm not going to pray that there won't be hard times. I know there will be. So that's just a, a, that would be a waste of breath. And I know you guys are actually walking through one right now. Is it okay if I share? Um, So Joanna has thyroid cancer and is going to begin chemo radiation here, what, in a couple of, over Thanksgiving, wonderful. And for about six weeks, won't be able to be within six feet of anybody, including her son. Two weeks. So oh, that's even better than six yeah. weeks. Way better. But still, two weeks without being able to hold your son. Two weeks be, without being able to be in the same bed with your husband. Two weeks without being able to be near people. And then the whole radiation process. And I'm so grateful for, for the Blitzes, their, their extended family who are coming alongside of them. But this is a family who desperately, real time, needs the support. So 
No, I'm not going to pray for no hard times because we all experience them. God often gives us more than we can handle, but he never gives us more than he can handle. So let's just pray for this family, if you would extend a hand. Father God, I am so grateful for Ethan and for Joanna. So grateful for Levi, that happy little baby right there, just jabbering right now. God, would you glorify yourself through this family? Would you glorify yourself through the ways that uh, their extended family and we as their extended family get to support them. God, we pray right now in your name that you would heal Joanna, that if there is any cancer cells that do not bend the knee to Jesus Christ, then I pray, God, that you would eradicate them in your name. If you want to do that through chemo radiation, fine. But if you want to do it miraculously, then I pray that you would do that right now that you would heal her completely, that the doctors would say, we don't understand why, but there is absolutely no reason for us to put poison in your body to try to kill it. Father, more than anything, I pray that Levi would grow to know you, to be dependent upon you, that he would, he would know who he is, your son, so that he wouldn't have to look to his peers or to this world to tell him who he is, that he would know what he's about, your business, so that he would not be about the world's business. And God, I pray for your protection over his mom and dad, because once again, I, asked, I forgot to ask him the questions, but I know that the cry of their heart is, yes, yes, we will pursue you. Yes, we will raise him to know you. Yes, we are committed to leaning on others. They're already doing it, and we pray, Father, that we would be there for them to lean on as well. Jesus, in your holy name, amen. I agree. So let's do that, all right? So, Jana, will you come on down? Let's just go ahead and, and we're going we're gonna to worship a little bit. We're going to just lay hands on her while we be going to a... So if you would like to lay hands on her or if you need, if you need for some reason to be prayed for, come forward. We'd love to even have that opportunity to pray with you during this time.